0: that's www.beer52.com dot com forward slash WTAF. Neil. Neil, Neil, wake up. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wake up. Whoa. Put your hammer bottoms back on. I'm just airing. Don't worry about that now. We've got to tell everybody about the show. What show? It's our sixth anniversary, Razzmatazz. Already? Already. It's been a whole year. Well, get yourself ready, because we need to tell everybody about how they get their tickets.
1: Tickets? What tickets? For this <laughs> 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 <Razzmatazz>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh sorry, I'm half asleep huh? Don't right. Worry. Let's get on it. Let's get on it. Well, Who's do you wanna, playing? well Who's I was playing? just about to tell you, we've got
0: the amazing Undiscovered. Ooh. Who else? And we've got the also amazing Memphis Sun Dogs.
2: Mm.
0: And and to finish the night off, we've got the amazing Binomial.
2: Ooh.
1: That's a fantastic
0: lineup. So how can we get our tickets? Well, let me tell you how. If you email pancastatlive.com with however many tickets you want, tickets are only £10. Only? For all that? Only £10 for a night of fun and frolics. Bargain. So, Pav, when is it? It's on Saturday, the 23rd of March. Where is it? At the Bingham Mall in Sirencester. And what time is it? Well, the door's open at seven. <gasps> oh, and where do we get our tickets again? Just email pancastlive.com That's pancastlive.com Let us know how many tickets you want, and we'll sort it out for you. And how much again? £10 a ticket. £10 pound There's a licence bar. <gasps> there's going to be fun and there's going to be frolics oh yes it's the pancast sixth anniversary (gasps) how exciting i can't wait when
1: is it (laughs) i'm not going
2: to do it again (laughs) hi this is jimmy walker i play dan greaves and you're listening to what the actual fuck a this country podcast scarecrow festival is like the most important day of the year Daft cow this is just ridiculous what the actual fuck
0: hey what the actual fuckers and welcome to wtaf of this country podcast first he's just crashed into some bins and made a tattooist dog
1: climb a tree and eat a bird's nest it's neil hello uh, uh, bins crashed into bins, of course. Daily occurrence. Well uh, <laughs> For a second there, you had no idea what I was talking about. No, did you? For a minute, I thought, hang on, crashed no, into bins. Remember, this is a This Country podcast, yeah, so it's,
0: it's linked to this country. I'm learning from the best. Well, not with the way I started. <laughs> <you didn't. laughs> okay, I guess this episode is responsible. As a co-writer of one of the most loved British sitcoms of all time, The Vicar of Dibley, this multi-award winning comedy writer is preparing to embark on a UK tour of his stand-up show Incurable Optimist where he wants to prove that you can do comedy with Parkinson's. He's also the father of previous WTAF guest and producer of this country, Simon. Please welcome Paul Mayhew Archer. Hello. Hello. (laughs)
2: how are
0: you we're very well sir we're very very well
2: excellent no
0: um obviously we're a this country podcast we wanted to i was going to say to you how do you get involved in this country but i mean it's it's a family thing for you isn't it
1: so surely it'll be how early yes you get involved
2: yes it's it's very now it's a very weird thing did you know that i was not involved three years before simon got involved really in a strange sort of way Um, In 2013, I was sent a little taster tape of uh, a thing called Kerry. And I was asked if I wanted to be a script editor or work on it. And I uh, wrote back saying how I absolutely loved it and I thought it was brilliant and how anything that was just three minutes long could make me laugh out loud and touch me um, and move me was obviously incredible and therefore I shouldn't get involved because I'm not the right person to work on it because I'm too old-fashioned and too old. (laughs) But they needed someone younger and to keep it raw and to get it on, and I really hoped that it would get on. And I had absolutely no idea that the person who would do that some three years later would be my son. Well,
0: look at that. So, I mean,
2: it seems really
0: strange to me that,
2: that you thought it was brilliant but you, I thought you, it was brilliant. And they, there, and they wanted me to work on it. Somebody wanted it, some company. And I said, you know, basically, it had to be kept raw and natural. Mm. And what they did with it, I think, was try and turn it into a more traditional sitcom. And, um, and it didn't work. And so then it, I think it came to the BBC. And that's when Simon got involved.
0: So what did, what did Simon say to you when he got involved? I mean, obviously, I'm
2: assuming he was aware that you were... Well, he he just he, he showed, I think the first thing I knew about it was that he, um, he'd he done some filming and he showed me this stuff and I thought it was brilliant. And then I said, actually, do you know, this reminds me of that <laughs> thing that I'd had three years ago that i never mentioned to you. And it turned out that it was the same thing. I mean, it, uh, just amazing.
1: Mm. That, is, that is bizarre, isn't it? So how how sort of early access did you get to seeing any of this country with Simon involved, or did you have to wait until it was released like everybody else?
2: No, he would he would come home and uh, he would say, "Oh, I've just got to show you this. I must, show, you know, have a look at this." And he would play me little bits on the computer, and I just it was fantastic. Um I mean you you never know um you never know whether something is going to break through I mean you, you can't anticipate that something will be you know um a fantastic success um it just it just made me laugh mm. and I and I loved it and um but I had no idea that it would be um as loved as it was I mean When it started going out and I started looking at the the Twitter reactions to it as it was going out, I think I've never seen anything quite so universally loved and taken to people's hearts. And it was the way people um, also reacted in that sense of identifying with the the characters, Mm. feeling if... You know, this would have been me. They kept saying, "If I hadn't got to the equivalent of Swindon Technical College."
0: <laughs> I mean, that's the one thing we've we've said before is that that because we come from that area, you know, we we live yes. we live in Cirencester where Kerry was originally set, um, where yes. that show was originally set. So we know every character that's in this country. You know, personally, we sort of know.
2: Course. But it's it's weird we, how that's as, happened all uh,
0: around the country. Everybody in the, you know, whether it's Scotland or Yorkshire or in London, everybody seems to know a Big Mandy and everybody seems to know a Len.
2: Yeah. Well, I live in a little village in Oxfordshire and, you know, the, they're all the characters there. And in the same way that Dibley was about a little village of, mm. of complete nutters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mm. And and sort of obsessives and uh, strange people and 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 rivalries and also um our parents, my my wife and my so you know about our family? You know it's a weird family? No, you need to
0: tell us, I think.
2: Ah oh, right. Well, <laughs> um my uh dad was married to my wife's mum, which means that I am my son's uncle. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> no no please tell me this is a this is a new sitcom that you're working on this is. isn't real life is it this is it's,
2: um it's uh it's an interesting one isn't it yes it is. now, they, um, we when we got married uh i was going out with julie and uh, i was a, an archer she was the mayhew that's we put our names together right and uh and so when i used to get invited round to julie's house um, Judy's mum would say, Oh, um, what's your dad doing? And I'd say, Well, he's, you know, just home and she'd say, Oh, bring him around for a meal as well. And so they got to know each other through us. And really oh. years after us. Goodness me. That's quite sweet, but that is and, a sitcom uh, in the way. Yeah. That is a sitcom. <laughs> and uh so uh yes. And then of course, um when Simon was, you know, um uh going out with girls, and we were thinking if he got married, you know, having a double-barreled name, what would happen if he married a girl who also insisted on keeping her name? (laughs) Then it would be (laughs) triple-barreled. He sorted it all out because he's married a girl whose name was already Archer. Well,
0: there there you go. So
1: there we go. It could have been a quadruple name if she had a double-barreled as well. Yeah. (laughs)
2: so so if you think the people in in uh in science history are weird <laughs>
0: <laughs> stay away from oxfordshire is that what you're saying
2: stay, stay away from oxfordshire exactly <laughs> <so>. <laughs> right so, I, was,
1: I was gonna say paul um how much um advice did simon ask from you then from the first series
2: from the first series um and not not very much i think he he sort of knew what he wanted. Um, I think he would. He he might occasionally sort of um, ask me things, and usually whatever I said was not the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he would say, "Well, I'm not doing that." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I think he 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 had a very clear idea of of. Of what the show should be. Well, I think they all did actually. I think mm. um, because I think the, the the earlier version that had been made didn't work, and that gave them even more of a clear sense of what it sh- it should be. Mm. And I think there's I think there's an enormous amount of care that goes into it. I remember him saying at one point that very very early on, um, someone had had pointed out. They said, you you're, you're losing." Um, moment where the camera isn't on someone as they're saying a, a line and therefore there's a danger you, you lose it and so they tried to sort of do it like that for one day as sort as sort of anticipating where the, the, the joke would be as it mm. were and it didn't work because of course it was counter to what they're doing in a documentary which is you don't know who's going to be saying the next line and so and naturalism was more important to them. And to keep it natural just made it funnier. I think that's, um, that,
0: that is the key to the whole show, is the fact that, that there are still people now that think that it's a documentary,
2: not a mockumentary. Yes, and it is incredibly hard to do mm. because you, you have got to, to make it clear. You have got to get the story across and you have got to get the comedy um, clearly across. And yet you've got to make it appear as though you're, you're not. Right, it's, it's the art that conceals art, and um, and having been to the um, filming for you know a couple of times, I'm I'm just sort of incredibly impressed by the way they they do that. And I love I love the the stuff at the bowls club as well. Right, because our parents actually started a bowls club in their village. So. Really, bowls <laughs> <laughs> the bowls club stuff is, is feels very personal to us.
0: Right, we'll we'll come back to this country um, in in a little while. I'm fascinated to know, as an award-winning comedy writer, can you watch sitcoms like objectively, or or do you try and write a better um, punchline while you're watching it, or can you just enjoy them?
2: I um I no I just enjoy them and uh and the really good ones um the really wonderful ones uh depress me enormously because they're they're so brilliant oh right <laughs> so and um no i I absolutely love them i i sort of i suppose if i'm watching something that that doesn't quite work, I then try and analyze why it doesn't quite work um and uh so, and so that sort of um, gets a bit sort of well actually it gets a bit tiresome really and then I give up watching but I, I think uh, um, actually what's very interesting about things watching comedy is, is the more um, elaborate something is the more contrived it is mm-hmm. the more you have to make it seem utterly natural if you see what I mean and so that the the more you have to shoot it in a way that makes it feel utterly real right um, if you if you sort of if you have a contrived situation and then you try and overcut it you, you uh, overedit it and um it just makes it even more unbelievable and something has to have a it has to have a truth at its heart um, and some people are absolutely brilliant at doing it. I mean, I'm I'm a huge admirer of Graham Linehan's work, right? Because it seems to me that in Father Ted and it, well, in all his stuff, really, he pushes characters to the ultimate limit of lunacy, and yet there's one little bit of them that is relatable mm. in the world, and that's the the, the brilliance of it. But. Um, Yes. Now, when I'm watching things, I, I tend to try and watch them just to be, you know, to find them funny.
1: Right. <laughs> so, I mean, an obvious question. How did you get into writing comedy? Where, where was the basis of starting that?
2: Um, well, I, um, I've, always, uh, I've always tried to write comedy when I was uh, a teenager. I was an only child. And basically, when I was at home, I either used to play a little ball game, sort of chucking a ball at a wall and waiting for it to bounce and catching it, unbelievably boring, the number of hours I spent <laughs> doing that, or I tried writing little bits of a play. Um, my hero was Alan Aitbourne, and I tried to write in the style of Alan Aitbourne, I mean, <laughs> hopelessly inadequate. Um, And then uh, when I was uh, in the sixth form at school, I wrote a play, and my English teacher said I should put it on. So I did, and it got some laughs, and it was thrilling. And then I was um, at university, and I was very lucky. I was in uh, a sketch group with Andy Hamilton, who has written Outnumbered and Drop the Dead Donkey and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so we wrote together, and then um, uh, we took a show to Edinburgh in the hope that it was, you know, our calling card and we'd be discovered, and we weren't. And uh, so I became a teacher, and then I wrote plays for the school where I was teaching. And um, that was, again, an incredibly useful experience because if you, if you write something, um, it's important to see it performed because mm. that's when you learn, you know, what works and... More alarmingly, what doesn't work, and um, so I talked for three years, and then I saw an advert in uh, Punch magazine, which was in existence at that time, for uh, radio producers. So I applied, and um, in fact, uh, I took I took the plays that I'd written in a little Sainsbury's carrier bag. <laughs> With me, and at the end of the interview, I said, um, "You know, I've written these plays. Are you interested in having a look at them?" And uh, one of the um, panel said, uh, "I don't think so, Paul. We're not really interested in works written for another medium. Thank you." And I thought, oh, "Well, that's the end of that. I'm not going to get that job." And um, well, in fact, I didn't get that job. Yeah. Wrote to me and said, um, "You know, we haven't appointed you." Um, but we did like you and we will write to you offering you a short-term contract. And I thought they were originally offering a short-term contract, so I thought this must be a really short-term contract, sort of a fortnight at Easter. Mm. Um, in yeah. fact, they got a, a year's uh, contract. And then, luckily, Griff jones left as a producer and went to become a star in uh, Not the Nine O'Clock News, and I got his job. So I was producing comedy programmes, and watching how the writers wrote sketches for Weekending and things like that, and just picking up tips and learning about it and learning the craft. And then I had a go at writing a sitcom called An Actor's Life for Me, um, which was on Radio 2, and then transferred to BBC One, where it was axed after one series because it didn't get the ratings. And then uh, I was working at Channel 4, uh, as a script reader and sort of uh, script advisor. And Richard Curtis' his, uh, production company, Tiger, got in touch and said Richard had written a sitcom called The Village, or the first episode, about a woman vicar. Mm. And he was looking for someone to write with. Would I go and see him? And I'd, I'd met him a couple of times to do with comic relief things. And I thought, ah, well, he wants to pick my brains about good writers to work with. So I wrote a list of ten writers and I gave it to him and I said, they're all lovely and they're really good and I think you get on with any of them. And he said, oh, oh, right. Um, Oh, you see, um, I I thought you might like to have a go. Right. I said, oh, God, really? Um, Oh, well, that's um, oh, Lord. Because I was a bit in awe because at that stage he had already written, you know, not the nine o'clock news Mm. and and Blackadder, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a Mr Bean. And so um, I said, well, I'll, I'll send you some storylines, and if you like one of them, um, I, I could write that. And so he liked one of the storylines I sent, so I wrote one, and then I wrote another in the first series, and then we sort of hit it off, and we co-wrote the rest all, all together. though so we never sat in the same room. I was I mean, going
0: to... I was going to ask you that because we're actually sort of embarking mm. on our first foray into writing uh, a, oh, a comedy right. series. Yes. Th- the actual mechanics of working with somebody, is, is it the same as like writing songs that everybody has a different way of doing it?
2: Yes. Yes, everybody. I mean, Lawrence Marks and Moise Graham, who did Birds of a Feather and loads and loads of successful shows, I think they always write together. I mean, they, they have a hut at the bottom of the garden, you know, and they go there and they they sort of write together. Others uh, write together, others don't. Uh, We had um, an arrangement. One or... We'd talk about the story. We'd work out the story and then we'd... um, One or other of us would write the first draft and then we'd send that draft to the other one. I mean, and when we started, it was sort of posting the the, the thing. Yeah, yeah. And then we... Writer B would rewrite the script and send it back. And we had a rule, and I think it was the same rule um, uh, Richard had with Ben Elton, that the the writer who took out the – if a writer took out the joke, then only that writer could put the joke back in, as it were. Right. So you didn't have me writing a joke and Richard taking it out and sending it back and me saying, no, I'm going to put it back in, and he'd say, take it out, you know. Mm. So, and uh, I remember there was one bit where I'd written a little sequence and Richard took it out and uh, it came back and I thought, oh, I really missed that. And and so I wrote another bit instead and it was obviously so rubbish that he put the original bit back in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very clever. That is the way to do it, actually. (laughs) But is there is there in a partnership is there normally, I don't want this to be sort of get pervy. But is there normally a dominant one? And <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? Is is there one that like like with yourself? If if Richard had said no, actually that's staying in, you would go. Okay, then that's fine. I mean, I
2: probably were, yes. Well, I would yes because he is you you know you. I mean, it is. Um, I mean, it's an extraordinary experience working with someone like Richard because he is amazing. I mean, after we'd done the first series, we were chatting about the doing an Easter special. And I remember uh, ringing him up. No, in fact, it was during the first series. During the first series, I, I rang him up uh, to talk about an episode. And he said, ah, now, can I ring you back in half an hour? It's just uh, my little films um, opening in uh, in America this weekend, and they're going to ring through with the box office results. <laughs> and so I said, "I'll ring you. I'll ring you back in an hour." So I rang him back in an hour, and he said, "My little film for weddings <laughs> number one at the American." <laughs> <laughs> and so and so when we came to do the Easter special, I remember ringing ringing him up again and. Um, uh, Emma answered the phone. Emma Freud's mm. partner, and she said, "Ah, now the thing is, uh, Richard can't come to the phone right now because he's got Dustin Hoffman in the kitchen." <laughs> 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 and I, I mean, this was years before we actually did work with Dustin Hoffman on a project. But I mean, the 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 thing was that suddenly, after you know, forwarding his funeral, he became an international sort of mm. writer. So, so yes, I think in terms of dominance. <laughs> you know. I, I i was the slave yeah,
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um paul um reading about your stand-up and everything could yes. you explain a bit about that for us
2: yes i mean uh it, it's really weird I, I i mean i'd done um warm-ups for radio shows which is basically you know if you go to a radio recording of a comedy show the producer comes out you know says a few things for about a minute and a half and then introduces the funny people the funny performers and i'd done quite a lot of that and um, and i'd given talks and things like that but i'd i'd never done stand-up as such and what happened was um, after I was diagnosed with Parkinson's and when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, for some reason, I decided to find it funny and I decided to to concentrate on the, the funny side. Mm. And I ended up making a documentary about it called Parkinson's, the funny side. And, and that seemed to go down well. And then I there was a big fundraiser uh, for Parkinson's UK at the Royal Albert Hall. And I was. Uh, And I said, I'd love to do something there. And um, So I Haven't a Clue teams were performing. And I used to produce some So I Haven't a Clue. So they suggested I could introduce them. So I did a few minutes of stuff about Parkinson's in introducing the team at the Royal Albert Hall. And that seemed to go down rather well. Mm. And so then another fundraiser took place at the uh, comedy store. And so I got the chance to do 10 minutes there. And that seemed to go down pretty well as well. And I just... Loved it, and um, and so after I and I did another bit at the comedy store, and I loved that. And then I thought, for some strange reason, well, I've done ten minutes, so I'll do an hour, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll do one show, and I'll take it to the Edinburgh Fringe. And so um, last August, I did twenty-five shows in twenty-six days, and um, it went really well. And so now I'm I'm going on a tour. <laughs> Goodness me! Fantastic. You know, I've got my bus pass, and um, <laughs> I'm sort of travelling. I mean, it's madness, really, because I'm. It's I, it's it's eighty days, so I am going around the country in eighty days, and I'm doing twenty eight shows, and it's sort of you know it goes from London, the Soho Theatre, to Glasgow and Edinburgh, and then sort of down south, and then some in Yorkshire and some, you know, and Leicester and Oxford and Cambridge and Hastings and Brighton and Norwich and Colchester and, um, and then uh, a place I'd never heard of called New Milton in the New Forest and uh, Tiverton. I mean, all over the place. Oh. Uh, and it's all the details are on a website called mayhew com, mayhew com. And uh, it's incredibly thrilling, and I I can't wait to, to do it, really. Um, I just love it. And in, in almost all of the shows, what I'm doing is now a second half. So I do my show, which is really about the funny side of Parkinson's and the sort of how we need to treat serious illnesses less seriously, if you like, and um, give ourselves the opportunity to laugh. Give ourselves Mm. permission to laugh at these things, and then the second half, I'm I'm doing a sort of bit of a Q and A, and also um, uh, talking about some tips about comedy writing and uh, some more funny stories that haven't you know hadn't fitted into the um, into the first hour. So it's sort of an evening with this old bloke, (laughs) and and it's sort of it'll last an hour and three quarters unless I have. You know, a freezing episode, which is when people with Parkinson's can't move at all. In which case, it could go on for several hours, which is <laughs> <laughs> do, do, Doing the stand-up, though, does it sort
0: of help you deal with the physical aspects of Parkinson's? Yes.
2: Yes, it does. And uh, amazingly, uh, at the end of the show, I always feel better. Right. Um, um, it's... Uh, I suppose it's a bit of a physical exertion, exertion, but it and but hearing laughter, the laughter is like the medicine for me, mm. it's, and it's, um, it just makes me feel much much better.
0: So, um, so, so, I, so yeah. I was going to say after this tour, it'll be a 365 day tour, then will it? So well, it just keeps going right.
2: on. I mean, the the one thing I I would say is, you know, I started at the Royal Albert Hall, then I went to the Comedy Store. And I went to a basement in Edinburgh, so you can see the trajectory. <laughs> I... <laughs> oh, so,
1: so, did you write your stand-up routine it, it
2: sort of like a script? Then is that how you? Yes, yes, it is. Like it's like a script, and and it it sort of um, and it has to be structured. So I sort of, I mean, and I had to realise because it's about the Parkinson's, but it's also about my life before it. It's very autobiographical. And so, um, and I realised it couldn't be chronological because then all the Parkinson's stuff would come towards the end and it would just get very wadgy. So, so I docked between sort of the, the present or the last seven years with Parkinson's and going back bef- before it and uh, in a series of sort of topics, as it were, um, so it, it has to be. Um, yeah, I had to think very hard about the about the structure of it. Um, structure is incredibly, you know, important. <laughs> <laughs> it's, sort of, it's sort of that way of um, deciding when and how to reveal information. You know, that's what's uh, good because you can uh, you can trick the audience or you can have revelations and they're very they're very important. So. Yeah, structure is a big
0: thing. So when it comes to, like, the structure or, or, or the formula of a joke, mm. is is there, like, a, a formula that is just – that goes through all of comedy? Or I know you're saying, uh, like, with the way you have to maybe withhold a, a punchline or something like that. Yes. Is-
2: well, there are all, I mean, in a way, there are no rules in the sense that sometimes, you know, just when you think uh, that uh, – Everything should conform to one sort of type of comedy. Something comes along which blows it out of the water. Mm. Does something, um, but it, I mean it's difficult to say. Um, uh, different things have different styles. But well, one of the little stories I talk about in the about Parkinson's is that the first time I I met a woman, uh, the chair of our local group who has Parkinson's uh she i said to her when did you first notice you had a tremor and she said um well the first time i noticed was when i was putting a condom on (laughs) and uh and and the way i tell the story is the first time i noticed was when i was putting a condom on and it was it was really embarrassing because i couldn't get it on at all and and then people started giggling, and if a, if one of the girls hadn't come up and helped me, I don't know what I'd have done. <laughs> and then she said, and and uh, and of course, sorry, I forgot to mention, I used to teach sex education. <laughs> but, but the way she told it to me was, um, well, the, I first noticed when I put a condom on. Uh, it was during a sex education lesson, and I was, and it seemed to me that if you withheld. Mm a line about the sex education, you get a couple more laughs. Yeah, yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's simply, it's simply um, trying to see if there's an opportunity for ambiguity hmm. at certain times, and then, um, and then sort of structure And also, uh, it's very important that you leave an opportunity for the audience to, to work out the joke. To come to the, it's what I call the gap, mm, as it that right. they say. So, well, we did a joke in in Dibley, where uh, you know they did the the jokes at the end of the the program yeah. uh, in the street, and one of the jo- I mean they were all old jokes basically that we dug up, and the trick was to try and find how Alice could misunderstand the joke. Either. Yeah. But one of them was uh, three nuns are killed in a car crash and they go to heaven. And St. Peter greets them and he says, uh, sorry, we're we're getting quite full in heaven at the moment, so I'm going to have to ask each of you a question. If you get it right, you can go in. And he says to the first nun, uh, what was the name of the first man? She says, Adam. And he says, yep, you're in. And he goes to the second nun he says, what was the name of the first woman? And she says, Eve. And he says, yep, you're in. then he turns to the third one and he says, now – you know, you're the mother superior, so obviously your question's gotta be a bit more tricky. What was the first thing Eve said when she saw Adam? And he and the nun's mother superior says, Oh, that's a hard one. And he says, Yep, you're in <laughs> <laughs> And the thing is, the crucial explanation is not explained. Right. And it's for the audience to work out. And the great thing is that the audience laugh all the more because they are flattering themselves ah yes i got the joke i understood how <laughs> i worked that. and it's in that same way that when you have running jokes um i think running jokes and callbacks often get bigger laughs than they necessarily deserve and the reason is part of it part of the laugh they're getting is the audience congratulating themselves and being relieved that the Alzheimer's hasn't said it, that right. they can still remember what was said 45 minutes earlier. Mm. Right. So, so it's, um, it's all about, it's a very interesting relationship, you know, you have with, um, with an audience. And in the case, I mean, it's also about heightened language and, um, and, and just simple observations. I mean, in this country... Is simply full of it. The language in this country, the poetic—it's just—it's just wonderful. Mm. And then that the crumpet joke. I mean, yeah. Simon played me that, you know. Yeah. Before. He said, "I've got to, got to, play you this little bit," and it was so exciting because it—it cuts from her, you know. The the um—is it the the the, the partner of the, her dad or something saying she's a criminal carries a criminal mastermind yeah and then comes the Kerry where are the holes in the car I mean it's just yeah. sublime um, uh, cut there because it goes from you know being accused of being one of the great criminal masterminds all, t- all <laughs> time to doing something so incredibly stupid <laughs> it's, it's a joyous juxtaposition there.
0: That's wonderful. Right. Uh, before we uh, carry on, we're going to have a little bit of a quiz. How are you on quizzes, Paul?
2: All right. OK. Well, well the, now, the thing is, I should point out years ago, um, there was Junior Mastermind and a 12 year old girl answered questions on the Vicka Right. And she scored more correct answers than either me or Richard. <laughs> well these this is uh,
0: Kerry or Curtin. I'm going to give you a line of dialogue oh, and you need God. to tell me whether it was Kerry or Curtin. Okay. Right. Here we go. Number 1. How the fuck did she hear all that? She's like a fucking bat. That's Curtin. That was Kerry oh. talking about Mandy. <laughs> Number 2. He shrugged like that. Such a shame.
2: K- Kerry.
0: That was Kerry. Well done. Number three. If I'm walking in the village, people actually slam their foot on the accelerator. That's Kerry, isn't it? That is. Well done. Number four. Len, I'm not going to get into a fight with you today. That's Curtin. That is. Well done. And one more to go for get four out of five. If you get this one, it doesn't matter what anyone tells you. Everyone's here for one reason, and that's to win. Uh, it's curtain. Well done. Four out of five.
2: Is that the bowls? Is
0: that the bowls? Uh, no, that's at the uh, scarecrow festival at the at the start. The
2: scarecrow festival. Oh yes, but Not well a very
0: done. Four yeah. out of five, that's very good. Round of very, applause good round. very good, very good. round of applause. The
2: scarecrow, the scarecrow episode, I just love the shot towards the, nearly at the end when in the, he's in the background just walking. With the flame. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> just gorgeous. So, uh, so, Paul, out of the two series of this country then, would you say that is your favourite
2: episode? Which one? The Scarecrow? The Scarecrow, yeah. I, well, I love so many episodes. I mean... I think in the first series, the one uh, that absolutely blew me away was the last episode right there was something uh, about him the the idea that he was going to go that Curtin was going to go, and then the sort of the panic attack that set in so you knew he could never leave mm. and that with the with Kerry and all those young. Boy and boys, and she 's creating an office space in the middle of a field, <laughs> and then he 's the only one that can come through the door at the end because he 's the only one that knows the password mm. and then there 's a shot in it's sort of with a sunset at the end when they 're back together, and they 're sort of this is their country and there 's something epic about the emotional quality. i mean it, mm. I, I thought it was an extraordinary episode. Mm. And then in the second series, well, there were, again there are there amazing things. Um, but I think, I mean, one of the most extraordinary things was the see, was the episode with the vicar's son. Yeah, and and the vicar's, you know, tragic relationship with his son, and then the ending of that episode where he's playing the song that he did as the Christian boy band <laughs> the good and guys, carrying yeah. with him, uh, singing a lot, you know, watching. And you, you realize that they are really his children. Mm-hmm. And he is their surrogate. This, this is the family. He's their surrogate dad. Sitcom, um, sitcoms always, it seems to me have to be about a family and, uh, and it may not be the sort of the family that you you, you quite expect, but it, they are the family, mm. and that was incredibly moving. And then the aftermath, I mean, was um, was astonishing. It's it it is deeply emotional. Mm. the series, and um, uh, and very beautifully done. And I mean, at home we love the vicar, right? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. We, we, um, I had the thrill this year, the last year, of doing a podcast um, for the BBC, BBC Ouch, it's the BBC Disability Unit. And um, I found myself sitting next to the Archbishop of Capitoli. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he was also on this podcast. Delightful man, even though uh, he was asked the question, uh, Father Ted or Dibley. And he went for Father Ted. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> I have forgiven him. Oh, right. <laughs> anyway, we, we sort of uh, had a very nice time on the podcast and we got invited to dinner at Lambeth Palace. So we did give him a copy of the first two series of uh, This Country. And he did say he, and we said the vicar is a marvellous character. And he said, well, I tend not to try and watch things that involve vicars. Um, but uh, <laughs> maybe he will. And maybe he'll have... have fallen in love also with Reverend Seaton. I uh, certainly
0: the, uh, the thought of the, the Archbishop of Canterbury watching the like Big Mandy or something it just yes. invokes so many, so many yes. visions in my head
2: if if <laughs> You see him at a service later this year with the worst tattoos in the world. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you'll know. Oh, <laughs>
1: or, a, or, or a pit bull by his side. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, he could be a future guest on the podcast as well. Oh, absolutely, that would be amazing.
2: Um, so, but so... see, those tattoos—sorry, those mm. tattoos—were just beautifully judged. Yeah. in the same way that the um, the artist's impression of what you know the, the court cork,
1: yeah
2: absolutely I mean, oh it was the thing is it's not overdone no it's just this side of believable but so horrible <laughs> <Yes>, indeed indeed
0: <laughs> we said before especially the court court picture it oh. you can tell who they are it's not like that they're actual caricatures but yeah. it is just this side of ridiculous it is, isn't it yeah oh, but,
2: so good absolutely wonderful
0: oh glorious so good so so what would you like to see happen in in series three um obviously with the 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 fallout from the aftermath
2: i don't know i mean i i hesitate to say because i think they have a they have a way of Developing stories in a completely unexpected way that then seems utterly natural mm. so i'm i'm not going to suggest anything or say anything because i just i just want actually I just want to to enjoy yeah it. yeah and uh, all I know is that they are consistently able to come up with funny lines and gloriously sort of um, heightened language and just jokes that. I mean, I don't know. There's something extraordinary <laughs> about some of the things. In that, where did Cress come from? That <laughs> yeah. whole the the Cress dying. I mean, who thought of that? I mean, that's just extraordinary. Yeah. And that, that somehow, you know, that some big emotional moment comes out of Cress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it is full. And the Frey Bentos. I mean, yeah. God. It's, um, when you start analyzing, so yeah. When Sorry? you start, I was going
0: to say, when you start analyzing it, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It sounds like it should never it work,
2: does. and yet it never is ridiculous. No, it, and it's always rooted in something that you absolutely believe. The sense of place
1: mm.
2: is amazing. I mean, I'm not surprised that the Cotswolds have taken it to their heart, and that you've taken it. You know, mm. living there because it it has that. That real sense of place, even though the audience can then sort of um, regard us as their own, whether they they 're in Ireland or Scotland or wherever as you say and um but it does have a very very clear um, you know sense of of where it is absolutely
1: okay. well,
0: Paul, thank you so much for spending some time with us it's been a real honor and a pleasure to speak and to you a joy you. yeah it
2: really really fascinating. I've, I've really loved it thank you and all the best you and I'm, I'm amazed at what you're doing and it's brilliant and i wish you all the best with your your comedy script writing and, well, thank, you 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 know. you. thank you thank and we've you i've got a long much. way to go with yeah. that but
0: uh um and, so and, but sure. and good luck with your tour Uh, Long may it it go on and uh, then go over to America and all of that kind of (laughs) stuff. Yeah. 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 A
1: HBO special. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Hollywood improv and all of that stuff. Look, there you go. It's all ready to go. I'm sure it is. Thank you once again, Paul. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you. Very, very good. Thank yeah. you, Paul. Thank you. And uh, Neil, do you want to do a little bit of housekeeping?
1: Absolutely. Well, you can find us on all the social media sites, so your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram, and I believe Snapchat? Is that oh, right? yes. We've got Snappy Chat. I don't know what it is, but we're on there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You've, we've got a website that you're uh, welcome to come and see. Well, do come and see uh, and find all our content on there as well, which is WTAF This Country. No. No dot .com .com. and then the email is wtafthiscountry at hotmail.com it is there you go there you go and also don't forget
0: that Paul is going to be on tour we will put the link to your website on the the show notes Paul so that people can click on there and get their tickets and come and watch you uh, do your stand up
2: Yes, and if it if on the website it says no tickets are available, there may well be tickets still available at the venues. Right, so okay. always, always check the the specific venues as well.
0: Wonderful. Thank Renew, you very so. much once again, Paul. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Very, thank you very much, Neil. Thank you very much, Pav. And that's another episode done and dusted. So go and get plumbed, you fuckers. <laughs> And We just made poor Mayhew Archer <laughs> laugh. That is like that's a that's a moment there.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Scarecrow festival is like the most important day of the year. What? Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck?
1: Hi, I'm Pav. I'm Neil.
0: We're here to tell you about our new exciting project, the top 10 of anything podcast.
1: Phenomenal.
0: That's right, Neil. We grab a guest or two, pick a subject, then bring our own top 10s to the pod. Yes. It could be top 10 scary movies, top 10 swear words, top 10 breakfast foods, anything. Ooh, you saucy devil. Indeed, Neil. Our first episode will be online very soon, so subscribe on all your usual podcast platforms so you don't miss it. Yes. The top 10 of anything podcast. Let's begin the
2: countdown. Phenomenal.